Welcome to Energy 360, the podcast from the Energy and National Security Program at CSIS. I'm your host, Lisa Hyland. This week, my colleague Kartikeya Singh helps us dive into another of India's dynamic states, Tamil Nadu. Tamil Nadu is a southern coastal state in India, known for its strengths in renewable energy, but its power sector is also facing some financial challenges. In August, Kartikeya had the opportunity to talk with Vikram Kapoor, the additional chief secretary for the government of Tamil Nadu and former chairman and managing director of the Tamil Nadu Generation and Distribution Corporation. Let's turn it over to Kartikeya for more on Tamil Nadu's progress and challenges in its electric power reforms. You know, Tamil Nadu is a very important state in India. It is um, responsible for a significant portion of the country's GDP, uh, a lot of heavy manufacturing, um, large services industry, and all of this requires um, electricity, which is uh, the thing that um, uh, Tenjedco and and the institution that you manage is responsible for. So um, let me start by asking you, why is Tamil Nadu different from other Indian states when it comes to the energy sector uh, more broadly? And what are some of your plans? plans for, you know, modernizing the grid or uh, inducting renewables, just so we have a sense of a, a bit of an overview. Tamil Nadu, which is, uh, as you rightly said, uh, one of the economic uh, uh, engines that drives the economy of India, uh, does require a great deal of power to keep its wheels moving. And uh, we have a, a huge demand of anything between 15 to 16,000 megawatts, which is met largely through our own sources as well as thermal sources belonging to the central government and those in the private sector. What's different from other Indian states is that a large part of our installed capacity is from renewable sources. We have a total installed or contracted capacity of about 30,000 megawatts against the peak demand of uh, just over 16,000 megawatts. Out of the 30,000 odd megawatts, Nearly 12,000 megawatts is from renewable sources, which effectively is 40% of the total installed capacity. And out of this 12,000 megawatts of renewals, 9,000 megawatts is from wind alone, which makes us the largest single concentration of wind power anywhere in India, accounting for about 24% of the total installed capacity in India. And the balance 3,000 odd megawatt is from solar and other sources like cogeneration. So in a sense, we are uh, the forerunners as far as renewables is concerned. In fact, in energy terms, um, we recently ramped up our renewable energy to over 107 million units in a single day, which accounted for uh, almost 40% of the total energy that was dispatched during that day. So that makes us very unique. You wanted to know what our plans are for modernizing the grid. Uh, well, yes, with so much of renewables being injected into the grid, there is a need to manage the grid effectively, which means um, we need sophisticated forecasting tools. We do have some of them. We keep on improving them with the help of our associates, like the National Institute of Wind Energy. There are challenges with regard to managing infirm power like wind, where there are huge intraday variations despite a forecast. This can lead to grid instability, and therefore we are looking at ways of uh, managing this instability through storage solutions, uh, not just battery, but uh, pumped storage, for which certain projects are underway. 
We also are going in for flexible generation options such as gas-based power. We already have some capacity and we plan to add more in the years to come. We have uh, also uh, a system, a very robust IT system, where more than 9,000 renewable energy generators are linked to our data center, which is called the REMC, the Renewable Energy Management Center. And through this center, we closely monitor their supply and use this data further to reinforce our forecasting models. On the transmission side, we've also been continuously investing in additional capacity and have created exclusive corridors for evacuation of surplus renewable power to the load centers. So in this way, we are um, increasingly coping up with the uh, in injection of renewables. And given the fact that we have um, an ambitious program to further scale up renewable uh, energy in our state to up to 20 gigawatts, that's 20,000 megawatts, I think these efforts need to continue to be done. That's incredible. Uh, you know, Tamil Nadu has done a lot of firsts. Um, you know, in terms of uh, you know, the, the activities in the power sector. Um, and given that you are sort of at the forefront of, of experiencing, managing, and leading uh, the energy transition that is undergoing, uh, you know, across the world and especially in India, um, what are some of the innovative policies and programs or, or technologies that you have put into place, uh, particularly within Tenjedco? I mean, people, um, you know, Tenjedco has been known for some time. You, you know, we've had conversations uh, recently where you mentioned that, uh, you know, there were power outages across the state. You've managed to reduce losses and provide on-the-clock power. Um, surely there are uh, some underpinning policies and programs uh, that have led to this improvement um, and probably others that many uh, many people don't know about. If you could share a little bit of that, um, that would be really helpful. Well, you mentioned it. Um, we we uh, pride ourselves in the fact that we have one of the lowest transmission and distribution losses in the country, and we continue to improve on that. Um, of course, if you were to exclude the free power that we supply to the agricultural and the hut service connections, um, we, we have one of the lowest uh, ATNC losses. And this has been made possible by continuous investments in upgradation of our transmission and distribution infrastructure with some liberal assistance from the central government. Apart from that, what we've been doing is to reduce the human element when it comes to billing and collection of dues. All our high-tension consumers, nearing uh, about 9,000 in number, have been installed with automatic meter readers. These devices, they provide online consumption data to the utility without any human intervention. On the billing and collection side, we are nearly 100% in our efficiency levels, and energy theft is one of the lowest because of uh, the strict vigil that we maintain. Despite this, um, there is a possibility of uh, leakages happening. So what we are trying to do now, again, is to install smart meters, uh, particularly on domestic uh, meters, and roll it out in the next three years. Smart, along with prepaid uh, facility, uh, these kind of meters would uh, completely remove any human element in the billing and collection of, uh, of, of electricity. Similarly, we've taken several other measures to augment our revenues and reduce expenditure, particularly on power procurement. 
And over the years, uh, we have reaped the benefits. And today, our the gap between the the cost of supply, the average cost of supply, and the uh, average revenue realized has progressively come down. Yet, we still have a gap to cover, and we hope that uh, whatever losses that we currently incur um, would be addressed once the next revision of tariffs takes place. Great. Well, um, you know, with all of this activity um, and in managing an institution that is responsible for everything from generation through transmission and distribution, there are opportunities for a variety of stakeholders to get engaged. Um, and, and we're particularly interested in what are the opportunities for foreign stakeholders to be a part of uh, furthering Tamil Nadu's uh, transition uh, and, and managing the energy transition that, uh, that Tamil Nadu is experiencing. Um, so what are, what are some of those opportunities? And, and you and I have, have spent some time together recently uh, in the state of Massachusetts. You've you know, seen some of the activities that are being undertaken here on the U.S. side. You have some uh, partnerships that you can also already, um, existing partnerships that you can allude to as well. Um, but we'd love to hear that. What I've realized is that uh, there is a lot that we can learn from the experience of uh, countries such as the United States uh, in terms of uh, integration of renewables, particularly solar. Um, it was uh, a great experience seeing certain facilities such as pumped storage, as well as um, grid operators who do a tremendous job. So I feel such stakeholders can bring in their experience um, to similar initiatives that we are taking. For instance, uh, on pumped storage, we have already limited facility in Tamil Nadu, and we are planning to build another one for 500 megawatts and plan to another one thereafter for 1,000 megawatts. So those utilities that have the experience of um, running, building, and implementing um, pump storage solutions have an opportunity to work in Tamil Nadu. Likewise, on system integration in terms of um, grid operations, there is an opportunity to bring in the experience, the vast experience uh, that uh, operators like ISO, which we saw recently in New England, can um, kind of partner with uh, us. And when I say us, it means the state load dispatch center, which is the equivalent of your grid operator, in terms of sharing their tools, their experience in, in, in how to manage such a complex grid. We also are looking at uh, battery storage solutions, which uh, today uh, is, is, is a very nascent industry. However, as uh, more and more players come in, we hope that they'll become more commercially viable. And we feel that battery storage in the near future would become one of the effective ways of, of managing the informed nature of renewables. We are also looking at natural gas as a solution for for addressing this unformed nature of renewables in terms of flexi generation. We do have a few gas plants of our own, but for want of domestic gas, adequate availability of natural gas, we are not able to run these plants to capacity. But the good news is that recently new facilities have been set up for importing natural gas in Chennai. And, and we hope that uh, in the coming future, we'll be able to set up large gas-based power plants. In fact, one of the recent announcements by the state government of Tamil Nadu is to set up at least two such plants of 730 megawatt each capacity, which would address largely this issue of uh, infirm uh, nature of renewables. 
So there is an opportunity for gas-based uh, power companies who have tremendous experience uh, in, in countries like the United States to partner with us in, in bringing these technologies to Tamil Nadu. Um, I did mention initially that whenever we deal with renewables, especially wind energy, forecasting is a very important tool to integrate such energy. I understand that there are companies which have specialized in forecasting, and we look to them to bring in those kind of tools uh, which can um, actually simulate to a large extent the, the, the infirm nature of uh, wind power and help us forecast better the, the injection of wind energy. One interesting thing that I noticed during my visit here is the huge ecosystem of startups that are today being supported by research institutions and by the governments like the state of Massachusetts in, in bringing clean technologies. And I think these startups have a very vital role to play with uh, utilities like ours. In fact, um, it may be a good idea if we can come out with certain problems which we could throw as a challenge for such startups to come and participate and come out with solutions and we could support such startups for actually bringing solutions to our complex power market. Uh, innovation is something that we need to be continually investing in as we're uh, managing and grappling with the changes in the electricity sector. So that's great that we were able to have such a wide-ranging engagement uh, with stakeholders, addressing everything from grid management and operation to storage to the energy innovation uh, side of the equation. Well, what about the electric mobility question? Um, So we've seen a lot of overtures by the central government about the importance uh, of having an ecosystem that supports the manufacturing and deployment of electric vehicles in the country. I think approximately eight states currently have policies specifically uh, around electric mobility. What what is Tamil Nadu planning uh, in this space? Tamil Nadu is also in the process of developing its own policy on uh, electric mobility. Um, The Department of Transport of the state government, in conjunction with uh, Tanjetco and the Energy Department, are actually in the process of... uh, preparing such uh, a policy which should be out shortly. It basically flows from uh, the various guidelines and uh, the the various support that the central government has been offering to promote uh, electric vehicles in the country. As you would know, Tamil Nadu is a manufacturing hub for automobiles. In fact, uh, 45% of all cars that are exported from India come from Tamil Nadu. We are in touch with manufacturers who have shown interest in actually manufacturing electric vehicles. We also are a major consumer state, and a lot of these electric vehicles can be actually deployed within the state. It's a question of what comes first, whether charging infrastructure or whether vehicles should be first. I'm happy to say that uh, there is also talk about the, the central and state governments getting together to actually set up the first round of charging infrastructure. So once the policy is finalized, we hope that this, at least the bare minimum infrastructure, would be in place that would help uh, car manufacturers, two-wheeler manufacturers, and consumers to actually avail of its benefits. Having said so, what I as an energy manager would look towards the electric vehicle policy is somewhat beyond merely green energy driving transportation. It's also possible that 
with the advent of electric vehicles, you actually create a, a, a distributed mechanism for storage of power, storage of energy, which means that instead of investing in costly storage solutions at a single point, which are extremely capital intensive, we could theoretically come out with a solution where hundreds and thousands of distributed owners of electric vehicles could actually use their batteries to charge and store renewable energy and then let it out into the grid, provided we give the right price signals. So in a way, this could be a unique model where you can actually store vast amounts of renewable energy in homes, in offices, in vehicles, which are otherwise lying idle, use it partly for their transportation needs and partly for supplying the power back to the grid when it needs the most during peak hours. It's an interesting model. It needs to be tested. We'd be very happy to actually give it a try. And in fact, we look to any entrepreneurs or companies which have actually experimented that in the West to come and partner with us in this regard. That's an excellent idea. I mean, you're talking about flexing the grid through mobility, electric mobility solutions. So you're dealing with the energy storage issue, the invariable nature of renewables, and the transportation sector all in one. And you're right. I mean, I think um, for for innovations in this space, having a utility that's willing that's willing to be a partner in this to serve as a test bed um, would go a long way in demonstrating its feasibility. That's a, it's a great and idea. I would like to also mention that uh, recently the state government of Tamil Nadu came out with its new solar policy. And under this solar policy, the ambition is to ramp up the existing capacity of about 3,000 megawatts to about 9,000 megawatts, of which it is hoped about 40% would come from solar rooftops. Now, that's one area that we are extremely positive about and would like to work closely with, uh, with installers, with companies who actually can provide solutions. Tamil Nadu is blessed to have not just wind, but adequate amount of solar power as well. And given that more than 50% of the state is urbanized, there is huge potential to exploit as far as solar rooftop is concerned. So we hope that with this policy, we in the next three years would be able to provide more than 3,000 megawatts of uh, rooftop solar power, which would actually help the grid by reducing the distribution losses and would improve the voltage profile uh, by by generating at a local level. Likewise, we could think in terms of microgrids, which would actually feed or link up with the main grid so that there is security in case of even disasters or in case of uh, situations where the general grid doesn't function. And, and I believe that rooftop solar could be an effective element of this microgrid system that can at the same time provide power as well as security, energy security to the residents. We also are very keen to solarize farms. As you know, um, we provide free power to our agriculturists. There are more than 2 million farmers who avail this facility. There are precisely 2.1 million agricultural connections that avail of power from our grid. We would like them to move gradually to solar power by providing them farm-based solar panels as well as inverters, which would not just use solar power to drive their pump sets, 
but would help them also export surplus power to the grid. This, incidentally, would bring additional income to the farmers and would also reduce the cost of delivery of power to the farmers on the, on the, on the part of the utility. Therefore, it's a win-win solution, and this is again one area where RESCOs, that is renewable energy supply companies, can actually participate and profit from such an arrangement. These two major initiatives, I hope in the next two or three years, would considerably reduce the losses of, of the utility, at the same time bring green power into homes as well as farms, and help us ultimately achieve our target outlined in the solar policy. Let me just say that I think the the last point that you brought up is a fascinating um, experiment in in trying to change the equation of um, how power is being distributed to not only manage the losses for a utility like Tangedco, which is so critical, but also to try to induct renewable energy at a much larger scale, closer to where um, the um, demand is. Um, and, and I think it'll be a really interesting exercise also in terms of human behavior, because um, you know, there is a critical water issue here. And by getting farmers to become prosumers of electricity, selling electricity back, perhaps, there is an incentive to maximize efficiency in water consumption as well. Absolutely. I think you hit the nail right on the head. Uh, what we are seeking to do is to not just bring green power into agriculture, but at the same time give an incentive to farmers to judiciously use the power made available to them. So the way that we've structured the whole scheme provides the right incentives to farmers to A, use solar power to the maximum vis-a-vis -vis the grid power, and B, to actually have more efficient pump sets, utilize the optimum amount of water for irrigating their crops so that they can maximize their returns. We've done some calculations, some simulations, and we're convinced that this would not only bring additional income to the farmers, but would also have a positive impact on the groundwater levels. As you know, Tamil Nadu is a water deficit state, and anything that goes towards conserving water would be useful. At the same time, by using optimum quantities of water, crop yields are bound to improve. So it's a win-win situation for everyone, and we hope that this, this pilot would actually spawn a new era in agriculture. That's great. Let me ask um, a question that is sort of at the heart of what is very important to Tenjedco right now. Um, it uh, addresses your your bottom line very specifically. Um, you know the the financial losses that you are incurring um, have led to some delayed payments to to generators, which can have cascading effects. Um, you know in in the economy, uh, and uh, and it's not just it's Tamil Nadu. It's many states that are grappling with some of these issues right now. Um, the central government has issued an order. Order, um, requiring a, a line of credit letter um, that is required uh, for upfront payment by utilities before power is dispatched, and that uh, can be stressful. Um, how? What is? What does this mean for Tenjedco right in this moment in time? And what is the? What is the strategy? Well, it's true that uh, continuous losses over the years have led to a situation that uh, there are delays in payments to all sorts of uh, power producers, including renewable producers. Uh, and, and we are concerned uh, because it affects their cash flows and their bottom lines as well. Uh, 
However, we are simultaneously taking measures to augment our revenues and reduce our expenditures to cut our losses so that we are in a better position to pay for the power that we dispatch. However, you'll appreciate that a lot of this effort uh, gets negated because of uh, secular price rise, particularly uh, the recent increases in the price of coal and freight, revision of uh, salaries and wages, as well as we did incur a huge amount of loss because of uh, the recent cyclone that struck the Delta districts of Tamil Nadu. So all the efforts that we took to reduce our losses actually were neutralized by, by these kind of uh, increased expenditures that we had to undergo. Hopefully, the situation is not permanent. It will get resolved once the tariffs are revised as well as rationalized. You adverted to the recent circular of the central government, which uh, addresses not just Tamil Nadu, but to all states uh, and mandates the opening of letters of credit before power could be dispatched. So I would like to clarify that Tanjatko already has uh, existing letters of credit with most power producers, and those who did not have the LCs, we've opened those uh, new letters of credit. So at the moment, it's not a cause for concern. However, um, while it doesn't apply to past dues, um, we need to be updated or up to date on, on our current dues. So it's a matter of time before uh, there is a distinct possibility that uh, these letters of credit could be negotiated. Therefore, we are taking steps with the help of the state government of Tamil Nadu to ensure that we do not default on current dues and we keep these uh, LCs alive. The state is extremely cooperative in this regard and, and we hope that there will not be any disruption of power as, as was uh, anticipated by certain sections. We continue to provide all the power that is required by the state. There has been no default on that account. But I must say that it's it's a long haul as far as turning around an organization like Tanjatko is concerned. An organization which has a turnover of uh, something like nearly eight to $10 billion annually and has losses which have been there for over the years and a huge debt does take time to to come back into the black. The state government took over part of our debts under the Uday program, and that reduced our interest burden. However, the subsequent increases in, in the costs, as I mentioned earlier, which were beyond our control, have, have in a way neutralized this benefit. The gap between the ACS and ARR continues to be a cause for concern, despite all the measures we are taking to reduce the ATNC losses and to augment income. For us, tariff revision is not the only solution, although that would help us. So we continuously keep st taking steps to ensure that we provide the cheapest power to consumers at the most efficient level. There are a lot of measures being taken to ensure that the financial health of Tanjatko is restored. I wouldn't like to share those at this juncture, but with the support of uh, the state government, we are hopeful that very soon Tanjatko will be restored to the path of recovery, and thereafter, these issues of delayed payments will be a thing of the past. 
Well, Mr. Vikram Kapoor, additional Chief Secretary, Government of Tamil Nadu and Chairman and Managing Director, thank you so much for your time today. This is no easy task you're dealing with. You know, it is a tremendous time of energy transition. It is a time that you are not only trying to bring the utility into the future, but managing these very complex issues of, of finances. And, and it's to be commended. And, and I thank you for your time. For those of you who are listening, um, the state to watch uh, in India that is really uh, grappling with, uh, with this transition is Tamil Nadu. So stay tuned to more about how this state is, uh, is leading the charge. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks to Kartikeya for hosting this week's episode. Check out the subnational work CSIS has been leading as part of the U.S.-India State and Urban Initiative. We recently published a series of briefs highlighting state-level progress on India's electrification agenda. And want to hear more from Energy 360? You can find us at CSIS.org, on iTunes, or on Twitter at CSIS Energy.